Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC Vegas 83. Producer Megan is on the sticks. Cody Saftik is on the line. Of course, I'm Paul Shaughnessy. This episode of the Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of the Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by PrizePix. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit. Cody, the, the, the prelims were looking pretty good for me. And then Kelvin Gastelum happened. That's got to be like one of my worst bets of the year. Like, cause that was Brady absolute mauling. Probably, I mean, he looked like he was like minus a thousand. Kelvin couldn't stop anything. And then, like Bobby Green, round three, like eh, it is what it is. It's, I always knew that was kind of in play. It's like you can't win a round three prop if your guy dies in the first round. I don't know if you knew that, but uh, yeah, no, yeah, kind yeah, of a uh, pretty yeah. rough, pretty rough card for me. Not gonna lie, but uh, two more cards left this year. Let's uh, let's try to get a little bit of profit and off into the break. Yeah, so I was kind of the opposite last week. I started horrendous. The prelims were not good. So, of course, I'm the idiot that talked Veronica Hardy up and her excellent game plan and how she's just going to stay to the outside and blitz in the pocket with combination. It doesn't matter. I, I actually thought Horth won for the record. I thought it was 1-1 one, no. one going into third. The second's close. The knees of the body and the late takedown persuaded it for me, but... Doesn't matter. It was like a stupid spot to put yourself in anyway. So obviously got the first one wrong. And then Wellington Terman, he won the first round as well. And then uh, just gets blasted. Bellotto, Bellotto's the biggest favorite on the card. Very nearly gets blasted. Oh, yeah. And then Joe Selecki decides to hold on to the armbar for too long. So we had a shoey bet on that one. Tall boy, so let me just get to know it. Oh, yeah, and then I'm going to shoey the rest of it. I had such a bad, um, like a bad end to the card that I forgot that I won a shoey bet. Yeah, well, that's where things turned around. So we both had Cody Brundage. People talked a lot of smack about him and how bad he is, and he still very might well be bad. But similar scenario, buddy holds onto the triangle too long. Uh, Misha Tate, she's an underdog score. Dustin Stolfus didn't see that one coming. But Joaquin Silva, I had Sean Brady, Davidson Figueredo, underdog. I had Jalen Turner, and then Armin Sarukian in the main event. So last week's card wasn't terrible, but uh, yeah, I got to get the combination. Hit three lines worth, hit some big fat parlays, because that's what I like to do. This week's card... Is a grease fire, Paul. Not good for parlays. Tons of underdogs. And that's why I'm glad to be talking about it with you. Like, I like a lot of these underdogs. Again, it just comes down to which one do I have the guts to pull the trigger on. So, say la vie. Another tough one, right? 11 fights to get at. But as you mentioned, two more cards for the rest of the year. So, I want to finish on a strong note. And for tout master purposes, got to have these last two cards go right. Hundo. Hundo P. Hundo P. Let's see it. Let's see the shoey. No, oh, yeah, well. You sipping a beer? What is going well, on? Well, I just here? said, what man, is going you don't on talk. You, you don't listen when I talk. I said it's a tall boy. Let me get to know it, and then I'm gonna do a shoey. And you responded with, "Oh yeah, I forgot about that." Now I'm just getting some sips off it because it's a tall boy. I'm not gonna slam a tall boy. It's gonna be a big disaster. Just let me let me get a little. Let me get to a regular can, and I, uh, yeah, that's as about it. as the shoey better winner right now. I'm not very satisfied. I will tell you. You that. do it. You do it out of I a will. little boy's like Walmart <laughs> rubber boot, little tiny thing. It's the weeniest thing I've ever seen in my life, and not once till this very moment have I ever said anything. So it's true. Paul's a baby back bitch. But to be wrong, as I normally have to do, I'm gonna do this shoey right now. I'm just get a little sippy. 
There, there's probably no beer left in that at this point. Well, there's beer left. I just don't want to get my laptop all hella messed up here. Okay. Holiday season's greetings. Haven't done a shoey bet in a while. Why Joe Selecki of all the other good picks I had on the card? Lord knows why. Also, let me just tell you one last thing. I'm not mad that he held on to the armbar too long and got KO'd. He deserved that for giving up top position in the first place. Easy takedown, right? Easily secures half uh, half guard. Could have hung out there all day if he wanted. Could have slowly took his time. Could have inched away. There's five minutes in a round. There's three rounds in a fight. Nah, got greedy. Got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. Tried to take the back. Slipped off. Drakkar close gets on top. Throws up an armbar. Gets head slammed on his head. So should have just chilled, dog. Goddamn. Look at that thing. For what I lack with my spaceship uh, children's boots, you make up for with that man. Like that thing is that has seen some barn work. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, it's it, that's been at that's it's been disgusting. at the the, the Saftic family compound. Yeah, no, but nobody some, wants to do a shoey bet. So you literally have to, and figuratively, uh, it has to be some type of punishment. Anyways, I don't know if you can see, but this thing's like so foamy. Oh, so it's, foamy. Oh yeah, well so yeah, foamy. there's probably other things going on in there. Is not All safe. right. Well, you 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 can you can kick off the first fight. I'm gonna slam this thing and let's get at it. Yes, yeah, let's get at her. All right, main event. We have Song Yedong taking on Chris Gutierrez. Hang on, hang on to that that shoey from Cody. Song Yedong is a minus three eighty favorite. Gutierrez can't be had. Four plus three hundred. Cody, you ready yeah, to take you ready to take it away on the main event there? Yeah, take it away. Give her. Buddy. Yeah, okay. So, so yeah, it's just one of those fights that we all like. Song Yudong. I think most people are picking Song Yudong. The numbers just a little bit too high on him. So, two ways of approaching this. First and foremost, I am going to take Song Yudong. But I think Gutierrez. If this is a three round fight at this exact same number, I'm tempted to take. Good ears, to be honest with you. The fact that it's a five round or something that Song has had a little more experience going the later rounds, something that he's able to carry that power through those later rounds. I have a feeling that if he comes off to a slow start, which he's done in the past, if he comes off to a slow start, he probably just wins it down the stretch. So because it's a five round fight, he is the pick. I just think in the live betting market, if he drops the first round, round and a half, maybe in the first two rounds, you're probably going to get much better price on him. But Song Yudong's young, 26 years old. He's almost got 30 pro fights. Uh, comes out of the Embo system in China. Spends his time at Alpha Male. But he is just a wrestler boxer. His combinations is just boxing. He throws his left hand. He throws his right hand. He will snap off a head kick the odd time. But it's very few and far between. Like, he's not kicking a whole lot. He's just slowly plotting, trying to get into punching range, and then trying to punch. Because he spent so much time at Team Alpha Male for a Chinese fighter, his takedown defense is pretty rock solid. Not only can he stuff the vast majority of the shots, his get-up game's pretty good as well. So it's, you're going to have to fight him, but he's going to just try to cut into that distance and box you from, from, from range, or not from range, right in the pocket, moves forward. When he's had trouble in the past, it's fleet-footed guys that can move laterally and go away, right? Look at the Corey Sandhagen fight. Corey Sandhagen with the dart, dart, touch him up, go, touch him up, go. Splits him with an elbow, blood everywhere, mixes in a few takedowns. Those are two things that Chris Gutierrez probably isn't going to do, but to play that 
two for one game where you touch him twice, he returns fire with one thing. It is actually quite effective. Even when you watch his last fight against Ricky Simone, Ricky Simone, fairly one dimensional wrestler. He's a wrestler. He's a power wrestler. The first round against Song Yudong is super low output both sides, but Ricky Simone wins the round on the basis of his striking just by darting out and being a little bit faster. So Gutierrez is going to come in with a good game plan. He's a leg-kicking guy. And the good thing with being a heavy leg-kicking guy, taking on a heavy boxer, is that boxers tend to be a little more flat-footed, heavy on that front foot. So Song Yudong's open for leg kicks to begin with. And I feel like if he's chasing, constantly chasing, then he's going to run into some trouble. Because Gutierrez is going to be moving. He's going to be sticking him with the leg kick. He's going to stick him with the jab. He's going to move again. He's going to stick him. He's going to move again. He's going to stick him. He's going to move again. So, again, why not just take him on the underdog pick? Well, well, two reasons. I mean, last fight against Alatang Haile, yeah, that's what he's capable of doing, blasting off your leg and moving. But literally one fight before against Pedro Munoz, he got dog-walked. Like, yeah, he's moving a lot, but he doesn't have a whole lot of power behind his shots. Leg kicks will eventually uh, demobilize you. He might be able to kick the calf off you. But he doesn't have that big zip. So once he fails to get your respect, then guys will just continuously crash the pocket on him and move forward. And that's where I think Song Yudong takes care of those later rounds. As I think that early, is going to be hard to catch Gutierrez. Later as the fight goes, if his leg isn't too chewed up, he catches him. He catches him with something. He either rocks him. He hurts him. He lets the judges know he's the guy that's moving forward and landing the bigger shots. And then just edges it down the stretch. So... This was supposed to be UFC Shanghai. And if it wasn't Shanghai, Song Yudong all day, god dang it. But it's in Vegas. So who knows? But I think they get it right and they give it to him. The thing is, is that it's striker versus striker. It's competitive. And it's probably going to go 3-4-5. So I, I don't like the money line. But Song Yudong is the play. He, he's got the experience. He's been there. He's done that. I like him. He only loses to the best of the best. And with Chris Gutierrez, outside of what, a washed up Frankie Edgar, like he doesn't really have any marquee victories. They stepped him up against Pedro Munoz, and he got dog-walked. So 26-year-old Song Yudong, better only getting better every day? Ah, I don't know. Bit of a stretch for me. Song Yudong's the play. Well, you know when there's a minus 300 or minus 380, minus 400 that I don't obviously like it, particularly when you don't like the money line. I will say that Song Yudong is still going to be the pick for me. I know, cop out, yada, yada, yada. But... It kind of comes back to, you know, he's training at Team Alpha Male with a whole bunch of wrestlers. He was able to take down Corey Sandhagen twice. I wouldn't classify him as just a straight-up boxer. I think that's what he does his best, but I think he's been putting in a lot of work. And when you throw leg kicks like Chris Gutierrez does, you become susceptible to being a little bit off balance and getting taken down. Alatang Hali was able to take him down a couple times. I wouldn't be surprised to see Song Yudong come out here and like, you know, really focus on the wrestling, particularly early, particularly timing leg kicks to find Gutierrez off balance and, and get him to the mat. So Yudong is the pick and I expect him to kind of come out here with the game plan of like, let's not just hang out at range and eat leg kicks because that's how this guy is going to absolutely murk us. And yeah, if you're pressed pressuring and mixing in takedowns is going to be the key for him. Because when you're fighting off your back foot, it's hard to throw leg kicks. Um, And obviously, you know, moving forward, finding takedowns negates the best thing that Gutierrez does. Uh, Song Yudong's chin is always checked out, even when he's got like absolutely badgered in fights too. So um, I like Yudong. I like Yudong to win. Um, But yeah, minus 400 is... 
I just don't think there's very much meat on the bone. But uh, he will be my official pick. Moving on down, we've got Khalil Roundtree taking on Anthony Lionheart-Smith. Minus 225 Roundtree, uh, plus 190 for Smith. You were so eager, Cody, last week to break down this fight, <laughs> even though it wasn't yeah. on the card. Yeah. So uh, I'll give you, I'll let you lead, off, lead the charge here because um, uh, you were ready for the breakdown last week. What is it? I wasn't ready for the breakdown last week. I mentioned last week. I'm like, I don't know if this is on or off. I haven't really studied it. I saw there was a line out, but yeah, yeah. It's kind of a late addition. And that's kind of the biggest question mark for me is that like, what kind of shape is Anthony Smith in? Because you saw a couple of weeks back, Hamza uh, Chamaya versus Kamaru Usman, right? I honestly think that Usman's a better fighter. I honestly think that Usman beats him. I think honestly, Usman gave him a hell of a go on like a week's notice, but ultimately him being on a week's notice absolutely mattered absolutely mattered and volkanovsky who had previously gone five rounds with makachev had had previously given him one hell of a go he also takes a fight on a week's notice it's not them at their best and if you're not at your best you're handicapping yourself and if you're handicapping sorry if you're handicapping yourself yeah like how much financial investment do i want on it so a little bit worried there about Anthony Smith, but God damn, this line is just too juicy to pass up Paul Shaughnessy. I feel like I have to have some Anthony Smith shares. So as a matchmaker, let me tell you, first and foremost, you can make anybody look good. Anybody in the world can look good. It's selective matchmaking. you got to give these guys the right fighters. Khalil Roundtree looked all but washed out. He actually retired. Now since he's retired, don't want to fight anymore. There was a brief flirtation. He was going to go to heavyweight, fight Greg Hardy. That fans out, takes a year off, moves to Thailand comes back to the UFC, and it's like, God damn, he is reinvented. Is he? Is he reinvented? So he beats Modestus Bukalkis, nice little win, shreds the knee off the poor guy. But a one-dimensional striker who's had very little success in the UFC, more of a regional show guy, decent little win, but it's a striker. Then he gets Carl Roberson. Carl Roberson's, I think, four and six in the UFC, hasn't had a ton of success, and is, he's a striker. Dustin Jacoby. Dustin Jacoby probably won that fight. Especially re-watching it back, it's like, how did Dustin Jacoby not win that fight? Outlands him, outworks him, outhustles him. Yeah, okay, Khalil Roundtree lands a couple big shots here and there, but that very well could have been a loss. And here's the thing, Justin Jacoby, striker. He's a striker. All these guys are playing directly into his hand. Now, Chris Doukas, last fight, four-fight winning streak. Last fight, Chris Doukas. Doukas has a BJJ black belt. Here's the thing with Doukas. Doesn't got a brain. Dude has fought in Yerozino Rosenstruck. Dude has fought in Derek Lewis. Dude has fought in Chris Blades. And he just hangs out in front of him. I don't know why. No idea. No idea. Uh, and so he does the exact same thing against Khalil Roundtree and he gets folded over. So not surprised there. But all of these guys play directly into his hand. When was the last time you've seen him get take down? Jeez. Okay. Yeah. That fight against uh, Ion Kudalaba gets smoked. What about other times? Prince, uh, Lord Mikhail took him down twice. Remember that fight against Andrew Sanchez? It was the ultimate fighter finale. He got taken in six times. He looks over at his mom, who's sitting cage side, and he's like, Mom, chill. Because she's like, get out of the car. chill. He got ridden. He's got no ground game. He's an explosive, big, strong power striker. Heavily muscled. Doesn't have great cardio. If he melts you in the first round and a half, great. If not, he's got pacing problems. And the UFC's done a really good job of matching him up with strikers. He's taking on these strikers. When he hits the mat, He's big trouble, man. He's big, big trouble. And you're talking about an Anthony Smith who's hung on the mat with Alex Gustafson, who's hung on the mat with Glover Teixeira, who's been in there and done that with the who's who's of the sport, went five rounds with John Jones, fought some of the best guys going. Like I, I don't know what to tell you. If this thing hits the ground, it's a serious problem. 
Now, <clears throat> Smith actually hasn't landed more than one takedown in a fight since 2016. He's landed a takedown here and there in fights, just not more than one takedown since 2016. So it's not exactly like he's the biggest offensive wrestling threat, but against Khalil Roundtree, especially on short notice, it's like probably wants to take this guy down. Now, let's say he doesn't take this guy, guy down because, again, if we're going to back an underdog, we need multiple paths to victory. Let's say he does not get the takedown. Problematic. But is it the end of the world? So Anthony Smith, not a, I wouldn't say he's a volume puncher. Doesn't land over 100 most often, but he's a dog, dude. He's a dog. He comes forward. He makes you work. And Khalil Roundtree is one of these guys that likes to fight at his own pace. He doesn't like being outlanded. He doesn't like having a guy pressured in his face. He's knocked out some lesser class guys, but Anthony Smith can take a hell of a shot. And he, he he's an analyst. He's got a good job at the UFC. He studies these guys. He's watched Khalil Roundtree. He's broken down his fights. He's commentated on his fights. I feel like he feels like he can be Khalil Roundtree on short notice. He's in good shape. He's jumping in here to take the opportunity. So a plus 190, it's like, yeah. I think I'm going to I think I'm going to hit some of that because again if he hits if he gets the fight to the ground I Rene could choke as possible honestly there's a lot that could go right for us if this hits if this fight hits the ground and we're on top if the fight hits the fight and or if the fight hits the ground and we're on the bottom even like the Devin Clark fight slap up a triangle he's the better grappler if it doesn't hit the ground he's just got to out hustle him move forward sling bombs I think you could say that Anthony Smith is shot and yeah 50 pro fights under his belt he's damn near shot but he's got a little bit left in the tank. And you saw that in the Ryan Spann fight. He landed 91 significant strikes against Ryan Spann and got a takedown. Got hurt in that fight. Lost the second round and rallied back and won the third because he has good cardio because he's a classy veteran. If he's 1-1 against Khalil Roundtree, he could maybe do the same thing. If this was, if he was the favorite, Jesus, if Anthony Smith, 2023, no thanks. If this is, you know, even money, probably not interested. At this kind of dog price? I'm in. Shit, I'm in. I'm in. Give me some Anthony Smith. I hate that I agree with you. I hate that I agree with you. But, I'm, you know... You, <laughs> we were on Cody Bunridge, so let's do it again. <laughs> I haven't been the biggest Anthony Smith supporter whatsoever, but yeah, at this number, I, it is short notice, but at least it's a couple weeks, and who knows? Like, he's... I imagine he's staying relatively close to Vegas because of because of his commentating. He's probably always staying kind of in shape. It's like when some of these commentators, like when they first kind of get into it and they're hanging out in Vegas, like there's, they're staying, staying ready just for like opportunities to, to sneak in there. So, um, you know, because they're holding so many cards down in Vegas right now, it's just like, you'd be kind of silly not to, you know, keep your phone or you're talking to the boss, regularly like yeah this doesn't seem too outlandish that round one could be super super ugly obviously you're you're gonna have to probably get through some some nasty spots but smith has proven to be pretty durable um has a lot of lot of different ways he can win this fight um but yeah round round one is probably gonna be very very ugly here um round three hits like a like a shit brick house, it's it's gonna be. It could be real, real nasty. He could get absolutely lights out in the first round. It's it's obviously, it's obviously in play. But um, yeah, Smith has show, shown us enough that like he's able to hang around and uh, and survive some of the early onslaught. It's gonna be kind of a game, uh, a different game in round two. I'll tell you that much. I mean, Anthony Smith has five round cardios. He only. 
really has to go three rounds here. Um, and yeah, the grappling advantages, I think, should be pretty significant for him if he's able to find a way to get the fight to the mat. So yeah, Anthony Smith for me as well. We move on to uh, Nazrat Hakparaz taking on Jamie Malarkey. Nazrat's a minus 180 favorite. Malarkey can be have had for plus 160 who he got. Yeah, both guys are actually very similar. Like, especially when you watch tape, is that they're both blue-collar type fighters. They come forward, they throw combinations. They're not exactly the most precise strikers. They're not exactly setting stuff up. There's not a whole lot of great footwork or head movement, but they're coming forward. They're coming forward and slinging it out. It seems like Malarkey is more of a, the go-getter type. He'll try to get some takedowns. Him and his best, he is a physically strong guy, and he'll bolt those guys to the ground. He's just not all that durable. I think that's what this fight really comes down to me for the durability. When you look at Jamie Malarkey, he's fought in some good guys. And the Michael Johnson fight, it's one hell of a go. But there's no denying he gets smoked by Jalen Turner. He gets smoked by uh, Muhammad Naimov. The Naimov fight in particular, he won the first round. He's winning the second round. But to fight that pace, to fight that kind of style of being in your face and being hyper-aggressive, you're going to have to get hit. You're going to have to take some shots. And Namov sneaks one through and melts him. He's been rocked in plenty of other fights. It's just at what point does that durability start to break? In his last fight against John McDessie, I gave him that one more shot. Because I don't like John McDessie all that much. And, and again, it's like he starts off well, but then eventually McDessie, who gives you a lot of mobility, gives you a, a moving target, starts slipping punches in, makes it very greasy, makes it very tight. McDessie maybe won that fight. It was closer than it needed to be. I mean, I'm glad that, I'm glad that Malarkey got the win, but... Again, it was one that could have gone either way, and I didn't think he looked all that good in that fight. Nazareth Hakparos, he's like a career underachiever. I found it super interesting. None of his wins are relevant for the most part. Like his wins, no offense to Mark Diacasey. And that was actually his 2018, his very first win in the UFC. Thibaut Gaudi, Joaquim Silva, Alex Munoz, Rafa Garcia, but that was Dar- Garcia's short notice debut. John McDessie, Landon Quinones. Like none of these guys are relevant. None of these guys have, have tipped that top 15 in the division. Maybe Diacasey, but again, five years ago debut doesn't really matter and yet he's always a colossal favorite his last time out against Landon Quinone is minus 475 the fight against John McDessie minus 250 the fight with Rafa Garcia minus 500 the fight with Alex Munoz he was a minus 300 the fight with Joaquin Silva he was a minus 300 his fight with Thibaut Gaudi he was a minus 915 favorite so people are super high on him and then when you watch these fights especially if you bet the guy you're betting a ton of chalk and, like, very rarely is he clearly winning the fight. He's not knocking guys out. He's not submitting them. So they're generally going the distance. And they're not, he's easily winning these rounds. Like, even the fight with Rafa Garcia. Dude takes the fight on short notice. It's his UFC debut. And he looked pretty good. Hakparaz didn't run away with it. And so, the, to me, the like, the straw that broke the camel's back almost was that last fight with Landon Quinones. Like, this is Hakparaz. He's supposed to be in the prime of his career. He's got lots of UFC experience. They've Fought and he's fought in good guys and lost. He's fought in bad guys and won. You know, he's coming off a win over over John McDessie. Let's let's move up and let's make something happen here. Because Landon Quinones, a guy that lasted 55 seconds against Jason Knight on the Ultimate Fighter six months prior. And again, he's a five to one favorite. He's a massive favorite over the guy. And yet it's a fun fight. It's an exciting fight, but it's a he almost loses by the numbers because it's sickening amount of number. He land he, he lands like 189, but man, Quinones batters him all over the place. So I got no confidence in him whatsoever. And I, now he's a two to one favorite over Jamie Malarkey. Can't say I like it. So I will take Hack Cross, but I don't like it. I really don't like it. 
but I really don't like malarkey. And malarkey is a guy who has shown that like his durability is very, very much in question. Not that Hackbrast is like a big time power puncher, but I don't know. Australian wrestler giving up probably a lot in the ways of volume, at least on the feet. I don't know if I can trust Jamie Malarkey with my own money. Um, I'm going to pick Nasra, but it's not a fight I'm rushing to bet, to be perfectly honest, this week. Moving on down, we've got Tim Elliott taking on Sumaderji. Elliott, a minus 150 favorite. Sumaderji can be had for, my, or for plus 130, who you got. Okay, so this one's interesting because we just spent a little bit of time, at least I spent a little bit of time, talking about Anthony Smith coming in short notice, and we're banking on him to be ready. But there was other guys prior, you're coming in short notice, and you're not ready. I'm feeling like Tim Elliott ain't ready for this thing. So I got him on Facebook, and I know he's not telling any lies and stuff because he posts fairly often, but he says he's trained two times. Went to the gym two times. Now, again, he goes to, like, Sunday Open Madden. He hangs out, but he fought, took a little bit of time off. He's a single father, right? He's he's doing, he's doing tons of kid stuff with his daughter. And then he goes to the gym a couple times. Now, they give him a call, and they say, hey, do you want to fight Sumaderji? In. Why not? Right before Christmas? Get paid again? Get that second check that you lost against Makayev? Why not jump in there? Can't make 125, so they've moved the fight up to 135, and now and now he's jumping in there against Sumaderji. So I don't know what kind of shape the guy's in, and that's kind of the problem with Tim Elliott, is that he's hyper-skilled. The guy's a very skilled guy. You've seen him at his best against Demetrius Johnson. You know, win, win rounds over Demetrius Johnson. Give him a go. You've seen him fight all of the sports best guys at 125 pounds and give them a go. And even that last fight against Muhammad Makayev, you and I were on him. You and I were on him. He, the judges had him, two judges had him up, two nothing going into the third. And yet he finds ways to blow it. His cardio's bad. He's not in great shape. Elliot in not great shape is a problem because he's got so many losses on his record. One more doesn't really mean anything. So when he's in a bad spot, he taps. And if he's not in shape, you know, he just kind of dinks around to the outside, does his little dominant cruise two-step, and then tries to stay out of harm way. But these guys are hungry, and they're coming after him. So as much as I think this is a massively favorable fight for Tim Elliott because of his wrestling, because of his ground game, because of his ability to take one hell of a punch, because of his ability to come forward and make it an ugly fight, this is his to win all day long. He's a much better fighter than Matt Schnell. He could do it, Matt Schnell. Did. He could win this thing and take less damage doing it. If he was in shape, which I don't think he is. So I'm having trouble getting behind him. Sumaderji, meanwhile, he's at, he's nothing special. He's tall for the weight class, southpaw, nasty left hand down the middle. Outside of that, that's about it. And it's not as if he sets up the left hand. It's just he's got a good left hand. And then it's the only punch he throws. A couple of leg kicks, a couple of leg kicks, tries to circle you into the left hand, into the left hand, into the left hand. Now, he's got a little bit of power. He's got a little pop. But 27 years old, doesn't fight all that often fights about once a year comes off these long layoffs jumps in there and i don't know man matt Schnell showed that his grappling is still problematic i don't know in a year off that it's gotten any better i don't know that in a year off it's gotten good enough to hang with tim elliott which is a problem elliott's up two rounds on makayev makayev is a legitimate grappler what, what, what do you think elliott would do to sumaderji but it all comes down to like if he's in shape or not so I can't say wait until the weigh-ins because because it's at 35, he's probably going to make weight and probably going to look okay. But the realistic nature of it is like live bet Sumaderji if it gets out of the first round because Elliot's just going to run on fumes and even a mediocre fighter will look good against him because he's running on fumes and that's what happens. So this is way better live bet opportunity. But I guess because I have to make a pre-bet, I'm going to take Sumaderji. 
Sumiderji's got to be, he's got to have some size on him here too, right? Like this is at bantamweight, I believe. Well, Sumiderji's a flyweight. It's just because Elliot took the fight on three yeah, days notice. Fair. Like he, and it That's wasn't like some fights they get announced and it's like, oh my God, the guy took it on a week's notice. But his managers told him about this a week ago and he's actually had two No, 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 no. Elliot took the fight on like three days notice. They called him, he posted, packing up my stuff and going to Vegas. Two two training sessions in the books and we're packing up because I'm a company man was how he said it because I'm a company man. Well, that's fair. You know, you step up to the plate, you do what needs to be done for the company, but uh, th- that's, that's putting yourself in a bad spot where like even lower level guys, assuming DRG is not all that good, but if he tires Tim Elliott out in the first round and he survives, he's going to give him some problems. Yeah. His pro problem is that, Wrestling is not on point whatsoever. Submission defense, not great. Like, what is two losses in the UFC? Triangle choke to uh, Matt Schnell and armbar to Lewis Smolka. I'm sure he's improved since that Lewis Smolka armbar. But losing by armbar to, like, anybody that's not, like, a super specialist in men's flyweight these days is a kind of a big red flag. Doesn't happen yeah, very yeah. often. It's pretty, pretty rare. So like even Tim Elliott, you know, he if that's the thing, is like if this fight gets kind of deep, like I don't know how much you can trust Tim Elliott. He gasses at the best of time. You make a lot of really good points, but I think at least early, who knows what this guy, he's a bit of a wild card. Maybe he comes out and goes, I'm just going to strike with this guy. In which case, horrible, horrible decision. I'm curious. Basically, I, this is all a roundabout way. I'm curious to see what um, Elliot by submission is. He'll be my official pick, but I'm curious. They haven't released it because this fight is so um, so fresh. They haven't actually released a prop for that yet. I'll be curious what Elliot by sub is because you know he's not some sort of Big time submission specialist. He doesn't really get too many submissions, but this is a matchup where if he plays his cards right, I think he could find one. Um, so yeah, Elliot is the pick. I'm curious what the price would be on Elliot by submission, and maybe I'll play it if uh, if the price is somewhat juicy. Um, we're talking like four to one. Five to one is what I'd be hoping for, but we'll see. I have no idea how they'll price it. Uh, moving on down, we've got Jung, uh, Jung Young Park taking on Andre Muniz. Minus 160 for Park, plus 140 for Muniz. Your thoughts? Yeah, so this is one of these fights that when I did a bunch of tape study on it, I kind of got like tunnel vision. Like you get so focused on one little detail that you start to obsess about this one little detail and you start to run scenarios and it keeps coming up and then all of a sudden you take an underdog pick and it's a terrible underdog pick so i'd like to get your opinions on it obviously but the thing with jung young park favorite and i get why he's the favorite right because the best thing about him is that he's a go-getter his striking's high his wrestling's high his grappling's high his cardio's fairly solid his chin's fairly solid but the guy is just tenacious man he stays in your face he's always throwing something he doesn't separate at range and stare at you he separates at range and then comes forward with a couple clubbing overhands with a, with a with a but you know stinging jabs down the middle stays on his bicycle if he loses the first round he comes back at you at the second round if he gets taken down he works his way back up but again this is the detail that i find with him every single time he gets taken down and it's not overly hard to take him down 
Every single time he takes it up, he does the exact same get up. He just like he bellies down, gives up his back, and then tries to pop back up. So if you look at his fights with Anthony Hernandez, took him down six times, took his back a whole bunch, ends up Anaconda choking him. His fight with Tafal Ninjaqui gets taken down. His fight with Gregory Rodriguez, taken down twice, both times, spins to get up, and gives up his back. Loses the first round because he gives up his back to Rodriguez. Second round, he gives up his back, spins, gets up, and then hurts Rodriguez, then gets ends up getting knocked out himself. Only time he's been knocked out, it wasn't a terrible performance by him. It's that he hadn't changed anything in his approach to getting up. His very next fight's the Eric Anders fight. Now, people online complained that they thought it was a robbery because Anders had taken him down and had leaned on him. I had Park. I was thinking Park did win the fight because, yeah, it worked him. But in both scenarios, he just gets controlled nearly three-quarters of the fight on the cage. He's unable to dig the underhook. He's unable to separate. Anders gets two takedowns, and you guessed it. He bellies down and gives up his back both times against Eric Anders. Now, Anders is not a fantastic grappler. He's not going to float on you, and he's not going to sink his hooks in. He was just trying to, you know, hip ride him instead. So he wasn't able to capitalize. But, dude, it's there. And then this win streak, Joseph Holmes, Dennis Tulin. What the hell are they going to do in the grappling department, let alone in and fight? So he beats those guys. And then Albert Duraev. Duraev shoots no takedowns in the first, just chooses to strike with him. Shoots one takedown in the second, takes his back, and then Park, you know, frees himself and ends up winning the fight. But I would think... If Muniz, because we're talking about if it's a, worth a dog shot or how could this one go wrong if we're going to back the favorite, if Muniz is in shape and can fight two good rounds at the very least, I think the opportunity is going to be there to just shoot in on a double, slip under, jump on the back, shoot a single, drag him to the mat, take the back, force a scramble. Now, Muniz has looked terrible his last two fights. And this is where I'm really conflicted. The best thing about Park is that he is a go-getter and he's going to come forward. He's got heart. The worst thing about Muniz is that I don't think he has a heart, Paul. When the going gets tough on this guy, he just looks for the door. And in his last two fights against, I'll give him a pass on Brandon Allen. Didn't look terrible. Fight went into the third round. Tired against a top, legit-level contender. Fair. The fight with Paul Craig, I can't give him I, I can't give him any type of pass there. He got taken down twice legitimately by Paul Craig. He got out-hustled. He got outstruck near the end. He got mounted and ground and pounded. And he got finished clean, outworked by Paul Craig. Outstruck and outwrestled by Paul Craig, which you almost never see. He's supposed to be some third-degree black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, world-class guy, armbar jacare. And yet he's been outgrappled in his last two fights, and he's found a way out once the going got tough. So in my mind, when I when I try to like play out this fight, is that Park just outworks him. You know, he's in a couple bad spots here and there, sure. But in the end, He's going to tire him out. He's going to beat on him. He's going to land the bigger shots, and he's going to either get a late TKO or a decision win. But I, you get tunnel vision on this one little thing and take away the Brandon Allen fight, take away the Paul Craig fight. What do you have is his career best performance against Uriah Hall. Four takedowns. Took his back. Easy money. Body lock. Hall goes nowhere. Hall is a better fighter than Park. He is. So why can't he replicate that? Two bad performances, sure, against good guys. I'll give him that. If he can just get that back take, sink in his hooks, hold control for two of the three rounds, not get finished in the third, he can spring the upset. And that's why I'm hesitant to go big on Park. But you gotta when you're putting money on the line, you want the guy with heart who's going to fight for your dollar. Park is going to do that for me. Mooney's can win by backpacking him and holding on for dear life. But is that how I want to put my money behind a guy like that? Probably not. So... I, I'm understanding that this is dangerous and that there's, uh, you know, it's problematic because there's big grappling disparity, I think. 
but I just feel like Park out hustles them and outworks them and gets the victory in the end. I just want to circle back to words that just came out of your mouth, mm, mm. which is, do I want to back a guy who's going to backpack, not really fight? Doesn't. I know Joe Selecki. Joe Selecki. See, you, you have know. a shoey in you. And he got slammed on his head, Paul. And, and, How could you see that coming? <laughs> well, I mean, but like he was just trying to pull guard, was was just being like a real rat. Like, you know, he wasn't going in there to fight. Like he had a certain game plan. He, he's like, if I can't get to back control and I can't just control this, it's like I got nothing. And like with Muniz, I feel like that's the thing is like, I mean, even that Uriah Hall fight, getting that much top control, Getting that much, uh, you know, being able to like literally control pretty much the entirety of that fight. Four takedowns. Never, he doesn't really have anything else though. It's like he has submission skills and like half decent takedowns. But if he's not able, like if he's not able to get the submissions, not able to hold control. I mean, the volume is just so not there um, that it's hard to win fights. The same thing as Joe Selecki and kind of what I was arguing last week. It's just like, and I didn't expect the way that that fight played out to play out that way, of course. But these kind of one-dimensional dudes, you know, when plan, plan A falls out, like, they got nothing. So, yeah, I think it's Park. Park, who's looking better than kind of ever in his last few fights. You know, he's mixing in some submission skills. I am a little bit worried about, you know, get taken down, give up your back because you're going to be in a super dangerous position against Andre Muniz doing that. But, yeah, Uriah Hall was able to hang out for at least three rounds, you know, and not get submitted. Iron Turtle, when he gets back up onto his feet, this is a guy who's able to put up 100 significant strikes. It's like if this fight takes place on the feet, I don't even think it's relatively close. Minus 160 doesn't seem so bad for the iron turtle so he's my pick as well uh we got kevin jusette taking on song canon kevin jusette is a minus 140 favorite song canon can be had for plus 120 who did this jusette guy fight last time Kiefer crosby Kiefer crosby yeah it was not a very pretty fight not a very yeah. pretty fight i mean i guess it was just so it was done so quickly Submission, nobody really saw that coming. Like, I recall watching this, and um, it was a bit of a banger. Not going to lie, Cody. I'm wondering why Song Kanan is so short, or is, is the underdog in this spot. Way more experience. Um, he's taking on guys that would probably roll Juicette. Um, and, like... He's had some success in some of those matchups. Like, Ian Gary would absolutely kill this Juset character. Um, the chin, I oh, suppose, man. is a bit of an issue, but I didn't see anything, like, anything serious in the ways of Juset's power uh, in his fight against uh, Crosby, if memory serves correct. And not going to lie, I don't know. I, I think at plus 120, I think it's a dogger pass type of situation here. I think you take the experience... Um, you'd uh, you'd like this price even more if this fight was in China. It isn't obviously, oh, yeah. but uh, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't too impressed by Kevin Jusset. He's obviously from uh, from uh, New Zealand gym. 
with city uh, kickboxing, yeah. city kickboxing with uh, with Adesanya and all of those guys. But yeah, like watching tape leading up to that previous fight, and kind of I don't know seeing seeing what he had to offer. I wasn't all that impressed. The submission was kind of out of left field. Nobody really saw that one coming, and. Uh, and yeah, now he's taking on somebody with a lot more experience. It's uh, it's canon for me. What about you? Yeah, this one's interesting. So Drew says out of city kickboxing, he made his debut. Thirty years old, made his UFC debut on the undercard of Adesanya versus Strickland in basically over in not I want to say his backyard, but would he have been on it had it not been for the fact that there was like seven of his teammates on the card? Who knows? Who knows? But uh, the one thing I, that leading into the, that fight against Kiefer Crosby that the tape has suggested is that everybody from City Kickboxing is known for their renowned kickboxing skills. You know, you got some of the best kickboxers. It's in the name, City Kickboxing. And yet, Jusette's kickboxing is super stiff and robotic, but he's a decent grappler. And in that Kiefer Crosby fight, he showed how bad his striking is. I would say it's amongst the lower level that you're going to see in the UFC. Very stiff, back straight upright, only throws the same two strikes. Jab. Jab, jab, low kick, jab, low kick, jab, low kick. That low kick might get disguised as a low kick and end up being a body kick. But in both scenarios, he's one and done. And it's just jab. He just jabs and he'll throw his low kick. The Kiefer Crosby fight, Kiefer Crosby's like four inches shorter than him and is giving up five inches in the reach department. So Crosby's a short little guy, comes in, and just starts slinging overhand rights. Crosby's no good, okay? Was losing fights in Bellator. Should have never been signed to the UFC. Ends up there. And is actually outstriking him and winning the majority of the first round. Although, to Juset's credit, like you can tell he strikes with better guys in the gym all the time. Like every time he gets hit, he was pretty undeetered. He kept coming forward and kept throwing the same thing jab, kick, low kick, jab, low kick. Crosby starts to get tired. Crosby throws a bum ass takedown, bum ass judo throw. And like you said, not expected. It wasn't that it wasn't expected. Like Juset couldn't submit him. Juset's the grappler, he's a submission guy. Crosby's not a very good grappler. So it wasn't unexpected there. It was unexpected that there was like 20 seconds left in the round and they're both standing. And then there's 10 seconds left in the round and one guy's tapping out due to a rear naked choke. Like he just botched a, a terrible judo toss. And that's why you don't go for head and arm throws, I suppose. But all, all, all the same, it's like, did you say look all that good? Probably not. So what you're saying with Song Kanan is like, yeah, he has been in there with better guys. Not only did he go the distance with the Ian, or not go the distance major the third round with Ian Gary, but he dropped him in the first round. He had some moments. He's fought in better guys like Max Payne Griffin. He's been in there. And then in his last fight, um, he showed some improvements. This is a guy that wasn't expected to do much against Rolando Bedoya. He was a big underdog and he held his own. He got outworked was a close fight. He stuffed a few takedowns here and there. Maybe, yeah, I think Song Kanan's most definitely live as an underdog. Now, am I going to bet him as the underdog? Here's where I don't think I'm going to. I hope that more people do because it seems like he's a popular dog play this week and I'd like this thing just to go to even money and I'd like to take Joe Set for as close to even money as I can. But here's why I don't think I can get behind Song Kanan is that none of these guys are actually trying to take him down. But Bedoya tried to take him down three times, went 0 for 3, but Bedoya's not a wrestler. And Bedoya was getting close. Ian Gary shot zero takedowns. Max Griffin knocked him out in two minutes. He didn't need to shoot any takedowns. Kalen Potter, Kalen Potter actually did take him down. But of course, that fight's four years ago and not worth mentioning at this point. What I'm saying is that no one's tried to wrestle him down. No one's shot takedowns on him. I don't think his grappling's all that good. Checking him out on social media, it's not as if he's been spending a whole lot of time on his grappling. 
And he looks a little bit stiff in there, man. It's not like he's throwing combinations himself. The Bedoya fight, he got outstruck 112 to 75. He stood there. Against Ian Gary, he got outstruck 127 to 55. He stood there. He's not that much of a go-getter. He's not a pressure guy. He doesn't th throw two, three, four at a time. There's really no X factor to his game. So I think with Joe Set, even though he's super basic, and he is super basic, if he can just be super basic but keep coming forward like he was doing against Crosby, keep being aggressive, keep coming in his face, and mix in those takedowns. That would be the key for him. If this thing was in Shanghai, <laughs> no chance, Mona Me. I'm taking that plus money, Chinese underdog. But uh, in Vegas, yeah, like I got a nagging suspicion that uh, I don't want to jump on Song Yudong. They, or not Song Yudong. I don't want to jump on Song Kanan because uh, I, I'm thinking there's maybe some deficiencies in the grappling there. And Josette sneakily, that fight was over the second it hit the ground against Crosby. Less than 10 seconds. It's just he couldn't get the fight to the ground till then. He wasn't even really trying to get the fight to the ground till then. Hopefully he does this time. But uh, yeah, like I, this should be an obvious dog pick. It absolutely should be. And I, I think I'm seeing a lot of love for him. And I understand it. But watching the tape myself, I want the guy that has uh, no striking and a little bit of grappling instead of the guy that has a little bit of striking and potentially no grappling. That's fair. That's fair. I'll, I'll reach out the olive branch and offer you a shoey bet on that one. I'll take you got yourself a goddamn deal, my friend. Yeah, you know, I kind of forced you into Selecki last week, so I'll take Sankanan. <laughs> it's not that I absolutely love him, I did bet him, but like pretty small bet. Um, but you understand your Chinese warlords, and I understand that, like, yeah, the grappling, I get it, the grappling's a big time deficiency. He's been submitted by like not world class grapplers many times over the course of his career, Giuseppe was able to take down probably the worst guy in the in the organization that shouldn't have yeah. had a job, wouldn't have had a job if it weren't for him being buddies with Adesanya and the card being over in that part of the world. So credit where credit's due, he did what he was supposed to do uh, against Kiefer Crosby. But yeah, I'll, I'll side with experience, and uh, we'll have a shoey for the last, the last episode of... Uh, of the year um feel like a shoey is in order of course i had to have a shoey bet for next week's episode because it'll be a Let's long month it. off my friend all right we got uh young sung park taking on your boy shannon ross <laughs> <laughs> park is a minus 600 favorite ross can be had for plus 450 what do we know about this fight the number one thing that we know about this fight is Shannon Ross cannot take... I think I think if I stood in there... Now, this is going to sound really crazy, and it's probably not true. But it's like if I stood in there with my chin forward and took shots, and he took shots from the same fighters at the same time, I'd give myself a better chance of, like, of actually like not getting KO'd stiff. This guy can... Like, this guy's chin is like... It's on the Mount Rushmore of worst chins in UFC history, Cody. Like, I'm trying to think of well, other people that just, like, a, a stiff, like, a, not even a stiff breeze, a gentle breeze caress or, like, comes by this guy's chin, and he's just like, oh, dead. Absolutely murked dead. And you backed him last time, and I was just like, friends don't let friends back Shannon Rush. She's like, oh, well, his opponent doesn't have power. One shot, dead. 
first knockout of <laughs> yeah. first knockout of uh, Jesus, of what, Jesus Aguilar's yeah. career. Literally, had yeah. never knocked out anybody on the regional scene. We're talking 125 pound men, and I know yeah. you go through, you look at Hung Sung Park's record. It's like he's more of a submission guy. He's like more of a more of a grappler. Um, a lot of his wins are coming by submission. It's just like I don't care, man. It's just like anybody against Shannon Ross in the UFC is live to win by knockout. I mean, if you're watching tape and you're like, ah, we're more of a submission guy, it's just like, this seems like a good fight for you to throw some hands. Now, you may be giving up some skill and ability, but it's like this guy has proven time and time again. He can't take a punch. So, yeah, I mean, the line, the money line's crazy. There's probably going to be some value on a prop somewhere down the line, though. So, uh, Park, there's, uh, there, there's no way I could ever back Shannon Ross, Cody. So, yeah, that, that's where I'm at. What about you? Yeah, okay. Well, first and foremost, I honestly don't think that you would do any better than him at taking punches you, in an MMA hey, Cody, fight. However, I knew however, you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. Remember when we played uh, football in college? Not like true. we played like flag football. Like, yeah, let me finish, Paul. Yeah, let me finish, Paul. Paul you gotta let me, let me finish. All, let me all I wanted to say is that I took a shot directly to the chin, and did, and like I got a like I actually got a concussion in that football game. And did I continue? Did I play the rest of that game? Yeah. In God fact, right I had I had I had neck pain for like three or four days, and it was the crown of oh, my head. Going yeah. into See, Paul I forgot Pharmacy. it was even you. Well, dude, you probably forgot that entire month leading up. 100%. Uh, what I was going to say is that I can't say you're, you could take any better punches, you know, in the octagon than him. But almost certainly, if it was Paul Shaughnessy versus Shannon Ross in a power slap match, oh, buddy, oh, buddy, all day. All day, Paul Shaughnessy crushes Shannon Ross's life at power slap because uh, I think you could take the initial slap from him. and He cannot take the initial slap back from you. He just doesn't have that. Ability, which is a shame because this feels so trappy to me. And probably the same thing I was saying when he fought Jesus Aguilar is like skill wise, he actually has some skills. He can go out there and do some damage. But as soon as the return fire comes his way, he's just folding over. On the contender series against uh, Vinicius, he tons of good moments, man. Tons of good moments. He's got him tired. He's got him backed up. He's landing in combinations. He had landed 67 significant strikes through less than two rounds in that fight. Every time he got hit, he got dropped. Three clean knockdowns. Eventually does get knocked out at the tail end of the second round. Damn. Doesn't get the contract. The UFC brings him in anyways. Clayson Rodriguez, less than a minute. And then as Paul's talking about Jesus Aguilar. Aguilar has zero knockdown or knockouts. So it's tough to say, well, he's been getting knocked out because he's been taking on tough guys, which is fair. Vinicius Salvador, Clayson Rodriguez, big, strong Brazilian guys. Okay. But Jesus Aguilar, grappler. To knock him out 17 seconds, the very first strike that lands topples him over. Like, yeah, man, we're 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 getting into uh Whoa. bad territories. Bad, bad, bad territories. And he lost so, to trash can way back when. That's a that's a big Yeah, like like you know, for recent memory, probably I would say Jason Witt. Like people will say oh, Cody Garbrandt, yeah. but like Cody Garbrandt can take somewhat of a punch, and he is fighting good guys. But like Jason Witt would be a good example for like old school fans, maybe like a Jonathan Goulet. Uh, like as soon as they get hit, they just topple right over, man. So I think the term is glass cannon, right? And Shannon Ross is a glass cannon. The guy's got offense. He's a dynamo, and that's the one thing with Park is that Park is low volume. 
He's super low volume. I haven't been all that impressed. When you watch him on, on the regional scene, a couple knockouts here and there, but as you alluded to, more of a grappler, more he gets these guys down and he rear naked chokes them. He gets on road to the, to the UFC. He's fighting low-level guys. He's fighting lower-level guys than Shannon Ross. He's fighting lower-level guys than the guys Shannon Ross is fighting. But all the same, he gets to like the finals of a, a road to the UFC and he takes on this uh, this Sungguk uh, Choi. Sung, Sung right? Choi. Now, I picked Park and at the time, he won. I was happy about it. Then I rewatched the fight a couple times in the lead up to obviously breaking down this fight. And he could maybe be down two rounds. Like he gets dropped in the first round, clean knockdown. There's a second knockdown, but that one you could say is a bit of a trip, gets his uh, a kick caught. He doesn't like getting hit all that much. In fact, his fight right prior against top Koi Kirwan also got dropped in that fight and was getting outlanded 22 to four before snatching up the rear naked choke. Against Choi, he loses the first round on the basis of the knockdown. The second round, he starts to come alive a little bit and land, but he gets taken down at the end of the second round, and then he he hits Pater in the third. Now, it doesn't matter because the judges had it 1-1. Two guys had it 1-1. One guy actually had him up two rounds for whatever reason. I'm not going to say he had them confused, but like he got dropped in the first round. I don't know how he won it. doesn't matter. It's low volume. Like He outstrikes him 38-20, to 20, and, then, and then per round, he outstrikes him 10 to 5 in the first, 23 to 12 in the second, and 5 to 3 in the third before getting the rear naked choke. So his grappling didn't look great. His striking looked kind of basic. I mean, one and done at a time. Sure, he's submitting guys on the Southeast Asian regional scene. Sure, he's knocked out a few guys that don't also don't belong here. But why is he a 6 to 1 favorite oh, on the simple basis that Shannon Ross can't take a punch? Mm-hmm. Because, like, skill-wise, Shannon Ross can hang with this guy all day. But it's punchy-kicky, and Shannon Ross fights the type of style that requires him to get in your face and be aggressive and push a pace. I just don't know that he can. But as I say that, as I say that, I'll just say one more little thing and we can move on. Last week, the big pie shitter, as far as I was concerned, was uh, Punahale Soriano. He's a 3-1 to favorite. Justin Stolfus is really no good. Justin Stolfus is coming off a 17-second knockout loss. Same thing, same time, 17 seconds. And yet he took all of Soriano's shots, his big left hand over and over. And the commentators are like, damn, Dustin Sofa's got one hell of a chin. Hey, you got to say he, he could take one hell of a punch. It's like, not really, not really can the guy take a punch. And yet in this fight, when it matters most, he was taking it. Yeah. So like if Ross, for whatever reason, was able to just like not get the light switched out on him, then, like, yeah, he could out-hustle him, out-land him, out-work him, win this fight. Also, it's not in Shanghai. It's in Vegas. Like, go out there and out-work him. But the realistic nature of it is I, ju- I should have learned my lesson against Jesus Aguilar. Now, that being said, 6-1 to one screams top ticket. 6-1 to one screams second line. I- I'm not playing this guy at the top. I do not like him. It's that the other guy can't take a punch, right? Like, how much more simple can it get than that? So everybody's on the same page. That's why it's 6-1. to one. But it's still a fight at the end of the day. And honestly, the knockout prop is not very, very... I was looking at the the props for uh, for Park here. And it's just like, it's already been... You know, they opened it at like plus 175 and it moved down to like plus 120 now. It's only open at a couple books. It's like club and sub maybe the more likely type of thing. He's like wobbles them a little bit, able to get it to the ground. Like there's yeah. plus 200s to be had. On this guy's, frankly, Park's preferred method seems to be the submission skills. Now, Ross hasn't been submitted since he took on Steve Ursag, and we know Steve Ursag 
is super, super legit. Probably one of the best, you know, at least in this division, best uh, best guys that have come off of the Australian regional scene. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm actually, based on the number, I'm kind of more interested in park by sub at plus 200 that I see out there. Um, hopefully, ho- yeah, it's it's one of those things, right? It's like you kind of just hope that it's like if he gets if it turns into a club and sub situation that the ref lets it survive for a half second so that they get to the mat rather than steps in and absolutely stops it immediately. It's a, it's a fine line. It's always tough, and the refs get a lot or the refs get a lot of heat, and a lot of the times it's deserved. Don't get me wrong, but like it's a really it's a really tough job out there for the refs. Um, which one was it this past weekend? Harry Hadley? That was a bad job. Yeah, oh, well, it was, yeah, with uh, with Bobby Green. And I, mm. my running joke, because I was bitter about losing, you know, my Bobby Green ticket, was that, well, at least, you know, the, the people with uh, with Turner, t- Turner KO tickets, they only got paid for one of those KOs, but he actually got four. Like, he knocked them out probably four times there. It definitely should have been stopped earlier, but... You think about the Bellotto fight, right? Where this guy also gets rocked. It also is looking bad for him. We have seen situations where fights have been stopped in those types of exchanges. Round two, I'm talking about with Ehor. Um, we've seen it where like ref steps in while the guy's trying to recover and stuff. And then what ends up happening? Ehor kind of blows his wad. And then Bellotto gets on top and is able to finish the fight. Like the sport's so crazy that it's a very very fine line between you know fighter protection and stepping in too early and ruining what what would be the outcome of the fight it's an imperfect science so it is what it is i mean it's not my, down, it's not my brain matter with a dude on top oh yeah of that you. was that, that there was definitely was it was i, I was mean he he face planted right he face planted yeah. so it's like you face plant then that's that's on you it should have been stopped probably like the first follow-up strike as soon as it got to the ground. Like, it was definitely too much um, for Bobby Green there. But What I noticed, I've been watching a lot of uh, bare-knuckle boxing lately. Obviously, it's sports taken off. I find it interesting, especially when they put it on and there's no UFC competing against it, nothing competing against it. I'll watch it. But what I noticed in pro boxing, you get dropped, you get knocked down, they give you a 10 count. You get knocked out, they just wave it off. Count. They just wave it off. You're out. BKFC, this guy is out, and they're like, full. what are you what what are you counting like if for some stiff as a board like what are you doing (laughs) like call the stretcher why like but eh, if he dies he dies so i know what you're saying you know you hate saying oh it's a blood sport you know when you got money on it then you want a ref that's gonna let them fight kevin smith has screwed me at first uh, a couple times right there's been sorry not kevin smith uh mark smith has uh, screwed me a bunch of times there's been bad refs you know, standing TKOs, it's like, hey, man, let the guy go out on his shield or certain situations where it's like, let them let them fight through a little bit like. Could have, should have, would have. Right. I had a so stupid. <laughs> I had a over two and a half in Misha Tate versus Julia Avila. So like props to the ref for allowing that thing to get through the second round. She just took a beating. props to the ref for allowing it to get through the second and props to her corner for allowing her to come out for the third. And then, you know, I mean, she just cleanly subbed her. Like, there was nothing that could have happened at that point. She beat her down. She choked her out. Lost the prop. Is what it is. 
But it's like, that's the kind of ref that's like, hey, she's still moving. She's still trying to regard. She's still trying to get to her hip. She's still trying to get to her knees. She's not face down oh, with yeah, somebody yeah. on top of her just unloading. And also, no offense to Misha Tate, but Misha Tate ain't Jalen Turner. So, like, when this guy's on your back mauling you, like, come on, just stop it. He's a killer amongst killers. Anyways, no, let's move on. Four more fights. Get through it, baby. I think we totally like we we were we're kind of on the same page though. It is it's hard and it's hard to know. Yeah, because that that's the things I especially on like Twitter and stuff is that people will. You, uh, a lot of it has to do with like what side of a bet people are on. Oh my god, I can't believe he stopped it so early. Type of thing. Like you see that type of stuff all the time. It's just like it's a tough job. Um, but yeah, between actually letting. Oh, who was it? There there was one more that was uh Jeremiah Wells, right? What was that? His last was that his last fight where you know like No, two fights ago against Semmelsberger? Yeah. Yeah. Like that, yeah. There were multiple situations in that fight where it's just like you have seen fights stopped for less. They allowed him to survive, and then he ends up getting the the win later on, right? It's uh it's a crazy sport. It's a crazy sport. Hey, here's a fight that we already broke down. We got Mel Costa taking on Steve. Uh, Mel Costa minus 240 favorite. Steve can be had for plus 200. We both liked Mel last time. We both liked Mel to win on volume. Steve seems knockout or bust. Um, I don't think we have to spend too much time breaking down this fight, considering uh, the only difference is what? It was supposed to be a featherweight last week. Now it's at lightweight, late, lightweight because Steve... I assume had problems cutting weight last week. Um, kind of annoying. I had milk at a decent number on like a, on a parlay last week, the other leg, which was the uh, under in the Brundage fight obviously came through. So I got paid out as if you know, I had like the minus 172 on that bet when, you know, milk really rounded that bet out, but it is what it is. Uh, milk for me. What about you? Yeah, I think you got to roll with milk. The line hasn't moved whatsoever, which is kind of weird to me because you have a fight that's supposed to be booked last week, minus 275, right, Costa. I like Costa. I was probably going to play him right on the top. I really liked the guy last week. And then Garcia pulls out the day before weigh-ins, ill. They rebook it a week later. They have to move it up a weight class because he can't try to make weight twice in a row. He has a history of missing weight in prior fights. Yeah, at lower weight classes, but it's not as if this guy's never missed weight in his career. They're rebooking it a week later. He was ill, too ill to fight last week. Good to go this week. Line hasn't moved one cent. I don't know, a little bit suspicious. And then as far as I'm concerned, I like Costa. I'm playing Costa. Costa's going to be high up there. But it almost favors a little bit Garcia a little bit better because we talked about glass cannons earlier. Like he's one of them. He's got heavy firepower. Mm -hmm. This guy's got natural power, both hands. If he hits you, you're going down. Hooper can actually take a decent beating. Every time Garcia touched him, the kid crumpled to the canvas. Like that was a, a full grown man taking on a teenager. That's what he made it look like because Hooper looks like a teenager as well. But Garcia really did manhandle him. The guy is a heavy hitter, but you see in a lot of his wins, he gets rocked. In a lot of his losses, he gets rocked. And defensively, he's just not sound. He can put heavy pressure on you. He can land big shots. He just ne can't necessarily take the punch. Now, at 135, he couldn't take a punch, but he was killing himself to make weight. And at 145, he also cannot really take a punch. But I think he's killing himself to make weight. Sick last week. This week doesn't have to cut weight. Fully rehydrated. Not a bad weight cut. 
cost is a volume puncher, but not necessarily the biggest power puncher. So like if Garcia can walk through a few of these shots to land some hands, he's got a better shot at 55 than he did at 45. Had he shown up to the fight sick, taken a few body shots, landed a big left straight clean on the, on the chin, that would have been it. I think this favors him a little bit more. So I think maybe that's why the line hasn't moved is people just don't know what to make of it. Want to see the Waynes this time around, but uh, him getting sick and pulling out of a fight last week did not cause me to change my pick this week to suddenly take him. So no, no, not taking Steve Garcia. Going to stick with Milk Costa. All right, we got Luana Santos taking on Stephanie Egger. Santos is a minus 150 favorite. Egger can be had for plus 130. Egger seems to be a pretty popular dog pick this week. And I see it. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I'm not entirely sure why. Do you see it? Mm, I see it, but, I, but I'm going to go the other direction. I see it because of two reasons, right? So this is a fight at 135 pounds, mm-hmm. and you've got Luana Santos coming up from 125, taking on someone in Stephanie Egger who's not only a 35er, but like she's a big 35er. She's grappled internationally. She, she fought Gabby Garcia at the ADCC uh, World Championship. She's been in there. In fact, a lot of her fights overseas have been at catchweights of 140, you know, 63 kgs. Uh, she's big and she's strong. And so two fights back, because she looked awful against Alexiva in her last fight with Nibar, but one fight prior to that against Eileen Perez. Eileen Perez is... Yeah, and Perez is strong. Perez is very physically strong and has won her last two fights since losing to Edgar. And Edgar goes in there. She's a judo black belt. She's a... I think she was an under-23 European champ. That's 12 years ago. But that's also a lot of experience. She's a legitimate, big, strong... Judoka black belt has a BJJ black belt as well. And against Perez, it's like she's getting outstruck. She is massively stiff on the feet. Her striking is very uncomfortable, but she just grabs a hold of you. And it's takedowns that almost certainly would not work in men's MMA. But in women's MMA, judo is still very relevant. And what she'll do is it's like a two-on-one arm drag, right? Like a like a single quick little tie-up kick, you know, a head and arm throw. She's she's strong and she's rugged and she makes it work extremely well for her. So the, the, the worry here, I guess, is that if you're Luana Santos, her only pro loss is to Jenna Bishop. Now Jenna Bishop is BJJ black belt. She's a European champion as well. Uh, competed at a very high level ADCC veteran. And Jenna Bishop's striking is better than Edgar's certainly. But as soon as she gets her down, it's like none of which is wrestling. She uses a whole lot of judo throws. Bishop mostly uses trips quick little sneaky foot sweeps, you know, quick little head and arm toss. And as soon as the fight hits the ground, Bishop's just a much more profound striker. Edgar on paper isn't as good as Bishop, but is much larger than Bishop, has the judo to back up some BJJ. It's And you've got one girl coming up from 125 to 135 versus a naturally big 35. If you can get dog money, she just needs two takedowns. That's it. Like when she gets taken down by Jenna Bishop, uh, she does not get back up. There's no ability to get back up. And if you want to be lazy and you want to look at it and see, oh, it's a split decision, I have zero clue how that fight was a split decision because I had it scored 30-27 for Jenna Bishop. Worst case scenario, 29-28, first and the third. I don't know who scored that fight the other way, but it's like once the fight does hit the ground, she just doesn't got it. She's fast. She's speedy. She's got a clubbing right hand. She goes on to win three in a row. Her fight with Juliana Miller, debut, very nervous, talked about nerves leading up to it. Miller got a quick start on her, and then she got comfortable. She landed that right hand. But as much as we can talk about strength and size and physicality from Edgar, 
speed all day long from Luana Santos, and she's a much better striker. Not only is she a better striker, I think she's got better cardio. So Edgar's going to try to lean on her, but she's going to have to catch her first. As far as striking exchanges goes, they're going to favor Santos. If we can spend more time standing than on the ground, Santos wins it. Okay, worst case scenario, we do get taken down. I think she can survive. She survived with Jenna Bishop on her for like, I don't know, eight minutes of a 15-minute fight. She'll be okay. Her grappling's good. She gets taken down. She's just got to try to make her work. Try to get back up. Eileen Perez got back up. You do the same thing. Cause her to work. Cause her to tire. And in that second round, late in that second round, into the third round, when Edgar's tired and she can't get those quick little judo tosses, she's going to be forced to strike. She's a bad striker, bro. And she's just going to start eating shots at that point. So maybe this is a good live betting opportunity. Just allow Santos to hopefully survive early. But go back and watch the Eileen Perez fight. Sure, she gets two takedowns. Sure, she ends up submitting her. She gets battered standing. She's not a good striker. If Perez could have survived a little longer, Perez wins. If Perez was fighting her right now and it was a rematch, my official pick would be Eileen Perez. I think she's gotten better since that fight. Edgar really hasn't. So... Yeah, yeah, as much as like I see the plus money, I understand it, size, you know, ground game. You need takedowns in the first two rounds, survive the third. I don't think it's going to go that smooth, so I, I got to stick with Santos. Here's a fun little stat while you're talking that I kind of rigged up. Went through all the significant strikes landed by Stephanie Egger. In six fights, she's landed 76 significant strikes. In three minutes and 41 seconds of her round one victory against Juliana Miller, Luana Santos landed 63 significant strikes. I mean, if this is at range, if this is on the feed, this isn't even remotely competitive by the numbers. Size does matter. Edgar is going to you know, is going to push forward. She's going to eat a whole bunch of shots as she pushes forward. When she gets a hold of her, can end up on top. But the thing about her is, like, she doesn't. Re- if she's not getting the submission, it's like she doesn't really do all that much else. That it's like we've seen so much, so many times these days. Uh, unless you're getting to like backpack position, it's just like judges really aren't rewarding it. So it's like if you can get back up, land some strikes at the end of that round, it's like a lot of the, you know, hanging out in guard control or like, you know, facing the fence, holding, holding on in standing control. It's just like the judges really don't care about that anymore. Um, I really struggled to get to Edgar in pretty much any fight. The size is a bit of a concern here. We have Santos, 23, making improvements. The The submission skills are definitely there. She's just got to keep this fight upright. Don't uh, don't let the bigger, the bigger fighter bully you here. Dance around the outside, and it shouldn't even be remotely competitive on the feet. So I am avoiding the CF dot model, the Pat Mayo special here. I'm going with Santos as well. Moving on down, we've got Tetsuru Tyra taking on Carlos Hernandez. Tyra is a minus 500 favorite. Carlos can be had for plus 400. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, we talked a lot about these guys that can just get that one move, right? In this case, backpack, right? Get on top of the back, slip in that body triangle, and goodbye. Where are they supposed to go from there? Nobody knows. Um, is it effective? Yeah, not always. You saw Joe Selecki get slammed on his head, but I kept seeing last week uh, after Selecki got slammed out and then after Reese got slammed out, mm-hmm. the joke was like, oh, Jiu-Jitsu's dead. Jiu-Jitsu's dead. BJJ's dead. You know, rest in peace, Jiu-Jitsu. And yet on the same card, you know, Misha Tate uses grappling. You know, Sean Brady makes grappling. Like, 
grappling is where it's at. If you can physically dominate a guy. Now, a guy like Andre Muniz, we're worried about his heart. We're worried about certain things about him. Selecki, as you mentioned, doesn't have great wrestling. He doesn't have great striking. He doesn't have fall, things to fall back on. You don't necessarily feel great about them. But Tatua Tyra, I don't know if he's a great striker. I don't know if he's got a great chin. I don't know if he's got these great things. The boy can find the back, Paul. Oh, and yeah. I am here for it. Now, people that watch the show regularly, I like Carlos Hernandez. Go-getter. Scrappy. Likes to fight. Takedown defense, always been an issue. Now, regardless if he can get back up or not, is that he tends to get taken down in almost all of his fights, and, well, he tends to give it the back. His fight with Alan Nascimento, yeah, why not make it a scrap with Alan Nascimento? Nascimento's high-level BJJ. He's got a knack for fighting the back. He catches him in the first round in your naked choke. I would say Tatsuya Tyra, it's much of the same. He's fast, he's agile, he's going to bait Hernandez in. Hernandez is going to have an issue here, is that for a flyweight, he loves to throw heavy volume. But in throwing heavy volume, you're going to leave yourself open to allowing your opponent to shoot under something and get the takedown. So I think he's going to play it a little bit hesitant. He's going to wait. Tyra's going to play range. He's going to allow him to try to bait him in. And as soon as he baits him in, he's going to shoot low on a single. He's going to try to slink to the back, put the hooks in, and put him away with the rear naked choke. It's his favorite move, and it's something that Hernandez kind of does struggle with. So you're going to have a full camp of knowing exactly what your opponent wants to do. And yet, it's still probably not enough. And that's kind of how I see this one going. So... Tired to get the job done. He's a legitimate prospect. Someone's eventually going to be some stout D1 wrestling champion that's going to come in here from Missouri and sprawl and brawl him and put an absolute thrashing on the kid. But in, in, uh, until you can really push him, until you can really take him into those deeper waters, until you can really overpower him and overmaneuver him, skill is going to win outright. And he's got enough skill to make this one look just like he's been doing to guys. So... I, uh, I'm not going to abandon the, the the hype train just yet, but it's going to hit a roadblock at some point. Just don't think Hernandez is the guy, even though I do like him. I respect him. Just don't think he's the guy to get the win here. Yeah, like Hernandez's grappling is pretty solid, but when he took on somebody with elite grappling skills, that fight was over real fast against Nascimento. Um, I think they were talking about two different levels of, of grappling here. Tyra, not maybe not as potent of a submission finisher but uh once he gets a hold of you he's pretty systematic in getting to that back finding the rear naked choke um i guess there can be something said about chires being able to get the full uh full 15 minutes and i suppose you know chires did show us some wrinkles there that could be exploitable uh in getting the knockdown against tyra as well but uh no, I think Tyra more often than not, obviously at minus 500 more often than not, but I think he gets he finds the submission. Plus 120 is the best on market right now as we speak. It's like, I think that's how he gets it done, but yeah, Chires being able to survive the full makes me a little bit less inclined um, to, to hop onto that prop. Um, that's how I see it playing out. Will I add something to it later in the week, maybe with, more books opening up, perhaps. But uh, yeah, Tyra, Tyra by sub is, is how I see this one shaking out. And finally, we got Rayon Amanda taking on Talita Alencar. Uh, Rayon Amanda uh, is a minus 160 favorite. Alencar can be had for plus 140. Um, Alencar was the one on Contender Series that like, yeah. So that fight went to draw... Dana absolutely like fell in love with the Luciano chick, right? 
Am I thinking of that fight correctly? Yeah, yeah, you got it. You got it. Alan Carr was kind of pulling guard. Like, that's kind of her game. Um, it was it was able to get top position, I suppose. But, like, the person landing all the strikes was Luciano. Um, it was not a very impressive. Like, it looked like Alan Carr got super, super gassed, particularly as that fight got late. Ryan Amanda, her record isn't all that impressive, obviously. Um, losing on contender series. She lost her first opportunity to get in there. She's went back to the drawing board since then. And what she won, like the, I backed her as, uh, when she took on Jill DeCourcy, I believe, uh, for the Invicta championship. She seems to have a pretty well-rounded skill set. I mean, what I saw from Alan Carr is she seemed incredibly one dimensional. Maybe she can find a submission here, but, uh, I don't know. I've watched a few of Ray on Amanda's fights watching Invicta, and I feel like much more well-rounded skill sets there. And she has some pretty decent grappling chops as well. Um, I can't believe, you know, there's two two women's fights, and I'm not suggesting the CF dot model on either one of them. Either one of them, Cody. Uh, it's Ray on Amanda, the favorite. Minus 160 for me. What will you? I actually went into both fights wanting to back the underdogs, thinking there's some good value here. But yeah, what I end up going by is that w- w- both fighters that we're not going to bet have the big grappling advantage, have a big size advantage, the physicality advantage. But I got to go with speed, and I think that this one—that's exactly what this one comes down to. Talita Allen Carr, um, she's a BJJ champion, like a legitimate champion. Had gone in there, had grappled some of the best in the game. But she's 33 years old, and in terms of her competitive BJJ career, she's she's on the backslide. So now she transition transitions over to MMA, and these wins, Paul, are one and one, one and one, two and two. You know, just went to a decision with a two and two fighter in April of this year, and then jumps on the contender series. So as much BJJ experience as she has, as clean as her grappling is, she doesn't really have any fight experience or MMA experience, and 33 is a little bit older. Now, is she Rodolfo Vieira? Is she, you know, the the best? Is she some legitimate top five grappler? No. She's just a high-level grappler that's been in there with other high-level grapplers. So I don't know that she can get away simply just on the basis of that. But the Stephanie Luciano fight, she's very willing to step in there and slug it out. The problem is, is that she stands, I want to say five foot three. She is five foot one, my mistake. She's five foot one, and Stephanie Luciano is five foot six. So she's giving up five inches of height and seven inches of reach in that fight. So she's stepping in, wanting to slug it out. She just can't get nowhere near the target. She shoots a terrible single leg takedown, trips her to the ground, and then as soon as the fight hits the ground, you see high level grappling. Like once the fight hits the ground, Luciano goes nowhere. The second round, Luciano's battering her. She gets a terrible single leg takedown, trips her to the ground, low ankle pick, throws her to the ground. Same thing. She can't go anywhere. And then the third round, she just flat gas, takes an absolute drubbing, loses a 10-8 round. But she held on. She had a referee that let her hold on, but she took the damage. She never stopped fighting back. And whereas, yeah, there's a lot of red flags there. There's a lot of concerns there. Here's my issue with Ryan Amada. Sorry, Ryan DeSantos. Ryan DeSantos loses, as you mentioned, to Denise Gomez on the Contender Series. Okay, That fight is at 115 pounds. Soon as she got lost, she didn't get the contract. She goes to Invicta, as you mentioned. She fights Katie Saul at 105 pounds, fights Jillian DeCorsi for the title at 105 pounds. So she's an atom weight. 
Mm-hmm. Thing is, is that 105 doesn't exist in the UFC. So she's got nowhere to go. She's the number one atom weight in the world, probably. She just won the Invictus title. So there's no better 105-er than her. But the division doesn't exist beyond Invictor, beyond the regional scene. So now she's forced to come up to 115. Whereas she's faster. She's got a lot better striking technique. And she's a willing go-getter. And she's got she's got all those variables to why she is going to end up being the pick. She is going to give up the size. And against Talita Alencar, she was massively undersized on the Contender Series. But now she's actually going to fight someone who's her size. They're both 5'1". They're both 5'1". They're probably both natural atom weights. But now that takedown is going to be a little bit easier for Alan Carr against a smaller opponent. And her jiu-jitsu, her top game, her control time, that's already top-notch. But it should be even better against Dos Santos, who's an okay grappler, but not a great grappler. Right so why on. not take the underdog? If I'm going to take an underdog, I would. I, I think Alan Carr would be one of them. But but the thing with Rayanne is she just went five rounds with DeCourcy and didn't slow down yeah. at all. So we're talking about Alan Carr flat gassing out in the third round versus a girl that just went a hard five all day. And her takedown defense, actually pretty good, man. So she got a sprawl and brawl. Keep this thing standing. And if it stays standing, she will batter Alan Carr. But want to take the dog. I just, I don't want to force a dog for the sake of plus money. Her, her, her. It's not enough. It's not enough here. So I'm with you. The model doesn't check out for me and I got to take the slight favorite. The only nitpick I'll make about what you just said there is uh, Alan Carr, you know, she was definitely giving up a lot of size, but that's probably perhaps because she should probably be an atom weight, but, you know, she's got into the UFC here because she's actually an inch shorter than Ray on Amanda, and she's giving up four inches in reach. Like, it's kind of crazy. Five foot two versus five foot one. Um, Maybe Alan Carr's a little thicker. We won't really know that until until weigh-in day. Um, but yeah, four inch reach advantage for Ryan and Amanda too, which I mean, hanging out at range, having significant striking advantage should all work for her, uh, in her favor. So watch her get subbed in the first round. All right. That is it for, or we're almost out of time, but before we go, hit him with the PRP. Yeah. So, so many dogs that I like, and yet. No balls, Cody's not taking any of them, apparently. But I'm going to go Songy Dong. Anthony Smith, dog number one. Sumaderji, what was the line on that as the writing of the show? Because I know the fight just got booked yesterday. Uh, plus 130 for, for Yeah, okay, so that's my dog number two. I'm going to take Nazareth Hakparas. I'm going to take Park. I'm going to take Kevin Jusset. <laughs> I guess I have to take Park, right? Like, if Paul would shame me for... Li- if, if for whatever reason... I was to take Ross here and Ross was to get folded in 20 seconds. Like I could just, I'd never, I'd never hear the end of it. So I, I guess I'm forced to taking a guy I don't really like at other park. We're going to go Mel Costa. We're going to go with Luana Santos. We're going to go with Tetsuo Tyra and we're going to go with Ryan Dos Santos. So again, not the most straightforward card. It was supposed to be like a prospect card in Shanghai. You're seeing a lot of, I mean, what we got one, two, three, four, five, Five Brazilians on the card. In fact, how many Americans are on the card? One, two, three, four, five, six. Six Americans on the old card. And Tim Elliott's replacing who? Who was it? Alan Nascimento. There was supposed to be five Americans on a 12-fight card. 
This is like your throwaway fight night card. It was supposed to be in oh, Shanghai. Great. It is greasy. And a lot of these fights are close. It's like, so, you know, I'm a parlay guy. I love parlays. And of course, we're going to throw them out here this week. But like, I, I, I'm nervous because like, I can see a lot of things going wrong. Unfortunately, oh, sure. we got, yeah, there's 11 fights, two underdogs. That doesn't seem crazy to me. So I just need Anthony Smith to go out there and do the damn thing. And I need Timelia to flat g- 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 gas out after a round and a half. Not the craziest thing that's ever happened. You've seen him do it on a full camp before. Why not see him do it on two days' notice? So, yeah, that's it for me. Uh, interesting card entertainment-wise, but uh, I don't know that you want to, like, go balls to the walls and die on this hill this week. All fun, all fight nights are fun to watch. But, yeah, this is your typical welcome to the new era. This is an Apex card. Like, it, there's two different tiers. When they go out on the road and when they have pay-per-views, there's a certain tier of level of expectation. And then... Whoever's available in Vegas gets thrown into the apex. Like that's no, no, what it is though. It's not. I mean, I love watching fights, but just like none of these apex cards matter. At the grand scheme of things, it's just like these are just filling, filling cards, filling, filling TV. Right? Like that's that's what it is these days. No, you know, you know when they'll have like uh, Ultimate Fighter or Dana White's Contender Series, and then they got the Ultimate Fighter Brazil or Dana White's Contender Series Brazil. Never is good. It's the let's use guys from that market to try to push something there. I, I I'm not 100 percent sure the details of why they bailed out on going to China to end the year, but um, yeah, all, all the same. The only the only one thing that really changes is it went from having a massive cage to now having a small apex cage. So certain fighters here are going to be affected by that, and certain fighters will use it to their advantage. So you give some, you take some. You know what's not going to help Shannon Ross's chi- uh, chin? A small cage. If he went, I mean, yeah, that, that money line no, is him, yeah. insane. Sure. And Shannon Ross does have a lot of skills, but it's like, yeah, the chin is just so bad. So bad. When um, I was taping, though, Anthony Smith versus Khalil Roundtree, I was like, shit, small cage. So, like, Roundtree's not going to have to go far to land on Smith. And then I was like, ooh, small cage. Smith ain't going to have to go far to get a hold of Roundtree's legs and take him to the ground, baby. So uh, that's what we're going for. 100%. Cut the All cage right. off. Be way easier in uh, in the apex. 100%, bro. All right. That is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For producer Megan and Cody Safdick, I'm Paul Shaughnessy. Saying goodbye and good luck. Oh, oh, oh. Oh.